Welcome to another episode of On the Edge with Eddie, detangling our black identities. Hey, I am your host, Eddie Etty, and I am elated you are joining our conversation to explore all the different shapes of black identities, have real conversations, um, and of course, discussions that will get your mind going up and down and just thinking about how you can change the world with us. Like always, our conversations, stories, and discussions are not meant to degrade, they're not meant to discourage, they're not meant to prove a point. Exploring Black identities is all about learning, empowering, and giving people a voice to tell their stories, and at times be a voice for people who don't feel comfortable telling their stories. Hey, hashtag not all Black people are the same. Yo, listen, today I have... Angelo T. Robinson. That's right. The Angelo T. Robinson. I mean, <laughs> listen, my, I, I'm so excited to get this conversation started, but a little bit about the Angelo T. Robinson. I, I can't actually even say just Angelo or just say Mr. Robinson. I have to say Angelo <laughs> T. Robinson because my man is an inter. Uh, I can't even talk anymore, Angelo. Um, listen, he 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 is a self-thought artist that actually, I mean, his work is amazing, right? Um, he served ten years in military, uh, ten years active military duty, and then four years in the Naval Reserve at the CBs. Um, he's 80% disabled veteran, right? I mean, so, and then of course he has done art shows in San Diego. He has done art shows in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, Burlington, North Carolina, art shows in Bruno, California, and a father of four beautiful girls and two handsome boys. He is yes. also one of the uh, founders and the, uh, one of the founders and the vice president of the, uh, Sinua Art Collection. Um, Angelo enjoys working and helping young artists and, of course, especially mentoring the young ones. Listen, something that you all don't know about my man, Angelo T. Robinson, is he is a karate nut, right? He's like, like, I get Lee. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. <laughs> Angelo T. Robinson, thank you so much for joining the conversation. You're welcome to On the Edge with eddie let's detangle let's detangle angelo how you doing my brother how you doing great great thank you for having me man it's an honor this is an yeah. honor yeah yeah so let's talk a little bit um started off from the art man mm -hmm. so you were in the military for mm -hmm. 10 years um spent four years in cbs and then you got back and you, you just you found this art. And I, I think a lot of the art was, you know, influenced by, you know, you traveling around a lot right. of different countries, Italy, Spain, Turkey, you know, African continent, uh, France, right. Cuba, Puerto Rico, Egypt. Like, so why the switch into art? What what got you to, um, to do art? Well, the I don't remember, but my late grandmother told me a story of, they looking for me on the woods in the Potter County, Georgia, where I grew up. And 
there was an old house up on the hill we ended up living in. And they walked up there and there's papers everywhere and encyclopedias and natural geographics. Mm. And I'm three or four years old sitting there tracing pictures out of and obviously I had been coming up there because it was all kind of paper with me tracing stuff out of these magazines. Yeah. So I just always had that knack for art. Just it was always there from first through sixth grade, drawing all the four H posters, painting pants for kids in high school, painting murals on the barracks in Waukegan in Illinois, murals on the ships. Right. And it just it was a thing that passion that just never left. I'm the kid that always did it, but just never stopped. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty awesome. But again, so your art, um, it's pretty unique, right? And by unique, I mean, it's pretty amazing the work that you do. And it's not just, you know, one form of art. I mean, right. you have like different selection, like, right. I mean, like varieties. And I mean, just the detail in your art is, you know, very amazing. Um, you. When you go through and you're, you know, doing your thing, is this an escape for you? Or, you know, when do you actually realize that, you know what, this art is complete? <laughs> or do you just right. keep going so you're just like, you know what, I, I, I've done enough. <laughs> right. Uh, for me, it's, it's a thing of the, I, I do a show sometimes called The Mind of the Artist, where if you come mm -hmm. there, you're going to see, like you said, from abstracts to realistic to orals, acrylics, just all the stuff that I do. Yep. But I know a piece is finished when I got to think about it. Oh, OK. <laughs> when I get there and I'm just in and I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. If I get to a process where I mean, you got some, you know, technical things you might have to think about but the actual work itself. Right. I don't feel like I should have to tell that work what it needs. It tells me mm. and I'm just a conduit to put it there. And if I start trying to think what I need to do to it, that means I'm doing too much. It's time That's to stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and so let me ask you this. How did you decide? Because, again, you thought yourself art. You thought yourself how to get into this business, how to do it. And, again, hey, I'm going to put your link um, in the podcast. Okay. Uh, uh, ATRfineArts.com. You have yeah. to check it out. Um, you have different art, like I said. Right. I'm looking at the simply so sexy art. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right? Now, again, you know. As a black man, I love curves, right? I, right. I'm not going to lie. My wife Amen. has curves, and I appreciate that, right? <laughs> but there, there is something about when you take a step back and you put, you know, uh, you know, your crayon or your uh, marker or you start drawing right. curves, you know, that gives you a, a different perspective, right? right. Um, you know, so tell me a little bit about how you got into the, you know, the Simply So Sexy and then the beautiful one off one. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Tell me a little bit about that, because I'm really intrigued about that. It, it's super amazing. Super amazing. Thank you. The Simply So Sexy series, um, of course, I, my, my grandmother in Georgia, my dad's mom mm. and then my grandmother in Decatur, you know, in Atlanta. So I was like the country city mouse. You okay. know, I had a country grandmom and a city grandmom, so you had that influence. Yeah. Then, like I said, I have four daughters, and I'm not gonna put my which one on blast because she might see this one day. But <laughs> one, <laughs> one of my old, well, I'll tell everybody. My oldest daughter called me years ago and was like, "Dad, using the military. Uh, what do I need to do to get a bigger butt? Like, how do I do this? And well, how many exercises <laughs> I need to do? And how do I do this? Right. And it just struck me that what, like, you're 
you're 20 and you look 15 and you're gorgeous and you're beautiful and God has blessed you to look young and right. but you can't think about it. But you want bigger lips, but you, you know. So it, and then I saw you know that artistic mind started turning, mm. and that's where simply so sexy came from. That simply being yourself is beautiful enough. But the second part of it was taking away the skin color. If you notice, all of it is just white background with texture right. and things like yep. that. Yeah, you have individuality with like the lips, the eyes, the hair, stuff like that. But it was because. If you look at a woman or on TV, a black woman is portrayed a certain way. Right. If you say blonde head, people are gonna think blonde joke. They're gonna think sports car. It's mm. the it's the marketing of what women are. Right. But by removing the skin color, when I did that show, Art San Diego Contemporary Art Fair, and I would say that it's to take away from race and ethnicity, people would be like, "No, that's not true." And I'm like, well, "Why?" They why? Like, well, look, right. well, look at her thighs. She's Puerto Rican. They would buy, look at her butt, she's black. Or look at her hair, she's uh, <laughs> And I would say, no, I nope. took that picture, she's West Indian Canadian. I took that mm. picture, she's Asian American. And it just began to let people see that if you remove media bias and magazine bias and Photoshop and all those things and just put a natural, beautiful woman out there, right. it's, just, it's just beauty. Yeah. It doesn't have no to be a certain color thing, what? So that was the basis, the generation of the Simply So Sexy was that you just heard, especially from being a father of four daughters. And then, I mean, no no disrespect to them, because, you know, I love the Kardashians and right. things. Yep. But people get caught up in that, that you need yep. this and injections and this. Yep. Yep. Whatever God gave you is beautiful enough. And the last thing I'll tell you, a funny one, the, um, a lady asked me, what does Simply So Sexy mean to you when I was at that San Diego show? Right. And she said, what is it? Like, what woman? Because all women, I said, yeah, all women are beautiful, but it's like a Navy pilot. Only point oh 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 something percent can be a Navy pilot because you got to have perfect health and perfect vision and perfect this. Yep. Yep. So everybody just can't be a Victoria's Secret model. It's just, you, you're just not. But right. that don't mean that's beautiful. Yeah. I said, my Simply So Sexy Woman is you've been out at the studio or you've been at a football game and you pull up a Taco Bell at two in the morning and the girl at the drive-thru, you look up, you're like, oh my God, like, what are you doing here? Right. Or you go to Kroger or Walmart or the grocery store and the girl or the woman that's at the baggage line. Right. Or she's at Starbucks, the barista. And you look, you're like, oh my God, like, wow. That's simply so sexy, meaning just these everyday women that we see every day but because of the way the medium thing is go, a lot of times you don't even think about it. Yeah, but that yeah. woman right there is just drop dead gorgeous. But you're looking at it from a perspective of like a magazine or a movie. Or what so it doesn't really register. In your, right. So it doesn't really register in your head. Right. So that's what that whole series is about. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's beautiful. Hey, atrfineart.com. You guys have to get out and check out, you know, all <laughs> this beautiful art, sports art, mixed media. Um, you know, like you said, you know, um, you know, again, the Simply So Sexy series, you know, and you made a statement, all women are beautiful one-on-one. Um, each woman has a God-given beauty, personality, right. and unique spirit on their own. You know, and it, it's really true, right? But again, like you said, the media portrays, um, you know, women, again, certain women, because again, like the media, sex sells, right? right. So the way they portray, yeah. um, um, even men and even in women, even some men, um, you know, just sort of 
brainwashes <laughs> you know, a lot of individuals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talking about talking about um, you know, growing up and you know, looking at you know things in the media. So you and I sort of grew up in in the same style, even different two different <laughs> right, parts. Right. We grew up, you know, preacher's kid, um, yes. you know, first born out of uh, a lot of kids. Again, I think yes. the first one out of what, eight kids, eight. Um, six boys, two girls. Oh, man. <laughs> Tell me what it was like growing up a preacher's kid down south. Uh, yeah. First one black man. I mean, you probably didn't get away with a lot. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing. right? <laughs> like, first, I'll fast forward just a little bit. The first time I came home and my yeah. brother was sitting on the sofa with his girlfriend and his arm was around, I was like, what? Yeah. Like, how, what? How did this happen, you know? But, yeah, I grew up, you know, like, and I'll say in the early years, my dad wasn't a preacher, so we always messed with him about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going forward, my, grand, my late grandfather was a pastor, though. And then, okay. of course, my grandmother was the, the the old the black church lady with the hat, and and she gonna pray for you for everything, and you know you gonna get the holy oil and lay hands on you, you know. And um, so as I grew up, it it just became a thing. As the oldest son, when he would go preach on Sundays or he would go to these little small country churches, I gotta watch the house. Mm-hmm. I gotta watch all the kids. I gotta yeah. cook the food. We go to school. I gotta defend my brothers. We go to the football field. Yep. If they get beat up, I come home, I'm in trouble. Right. You know, so it just became this dynamic of, you know, almost like a quasi father. But um, you learn more about what being a black man was than you even knew. Mm. It wasn't told. It was just the action of what you were doing. And but like you said, I remember my senior year. I, you know, I went all American, nothing like that. But I have a couple of those, you know, Division Two, Virginia Tech, when we come run the forty, a couple of things like that. Right. And uh, I made an interception in the end zone, the South Cobb. We down seven six, catch the end zone. You know, you in. We were going to playoff. We yep. have a little party afterwards. <laughs> I'm out. You know, everybody. Yeah. TV was there. Recruiters there. I get home to the apartments. Open up the door. My dad is sitting in the easy chair, watching the news, and I'm like. And it just so happened in Atlanta, like Channel 5 Sports comes on and they start showing the high school highlights. Right? I'm sure everywhere they do that. They show me making, look at this interception by number one, Angelo Robinson, Campbell High School. I'm like, Dad, Dad, look at that right there. He said, where were you at? <laughs> I was like, Dad, look. Look right there, look. See, I caught it. See, I caught it. Pinpoint the ball. Right, 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 right. Where were you at? I'm like. I, well, after you didn't come pick me up, so I had to wait on the coach. And then after that, they, right. did, they went to the party. And then he was like, it's 1.30. It's your night to wash dishes. I was <laughs> like, but it, got up, went to bed. And guess what I did? I went in the kitchen, washed the dishes, cleaned up the kitchen, and went to bed. Yep. As a senior in high school. <laughs> man. Kids don't understand that, man. This right, is, right. <laughs> Uh, so of course, you know, you didn't get a, a, away with anything. Um, but let's talk a little bit out again, growing up down south, um, you know, black family. What was it like in the environment that you grew up? Um, yeah, you know, what was it like as far as the culture, you know, the blackness, you know, um, right. and when did you actually find you know your identity? Because again, um, you went to the uh, military in, back in you know 92. 
right. you know, right out of high school, right? So right. before that, when did you find your black identity? Where did you find your black self? Um, uh, I think it was through my dad's experience. With my dad, you know, he, he was a drug dealer in Decatur. Like, mm. what, you know, one of the, what, what outcasts that people be rapping about, that was my dad, you know? And he switched and he actually gave up that once he got kids. Mm. And gave up, you know, some the violence and all those things. So me being the oldest and living in Pawnee County, Georgia, as I'm growing up, I remember walking through Winn-Dixie and you're walking down to go to the grocery store and three white guys walking towards you and they look at you and tell you to get off the sidewalk and bump into my mom. Hmm. Now my old dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. story, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> he had refined his ways and he, right. he stood his ground, but he kind of you know, did and then my grandmother, when I was really little, my dad's mom, Wynell, she would take me to all the farmers she worked for. And she did the clothes and you know, all that kind of stuff. And of course, you would go some be drunk, some act crazy with the, you know, the wife or whatever. And she, you know, asked for her payment. And they're like, Well, we ain't paying you, we ain't paying you, you know, we you we don't owe you whatever, whatever. And she and my grandma said that, no, I did this many hours, this how many clothes there. It was five times this, this is how much you owe me. And she would stand there and get berated with the N-word and uh, and all this stuff. And I'm five, six, seven seeing this, you know? So that was that. Then you go to Pauline County High School and go to my school. It was maybe 70 Blacks in the whole school. And I remember uh, when we moved from Smyrna back to Pauline County, I was so mad. Because at Smyrna and Campbell, it was like 45, 55, you know, you had different things. But I started recognizing it at an early age just because of seeing what my grandmother, my granddad, and them went through. But what it did to me was it just made, gave me a lot of questions. Because you, like you said, a preacher's kid, right. you're hearing about love and Jesus and God in heaven. <laughs> but then these people over here telling you they're going to hang you and burn you. And, right. But they talk about right. God and Jesus in heaven, too. And right. that's something people don't talk about as a young kid. And you see this burning cross when you come out of church and there's people out there on white sheets saying, go home before the sun go down. And I got to see my granddad talk us back into that old uh, station wagon with wood panel sides, you know, (laughs) and we get into that and we got to go. So I started recognizing that side of me early, but I was a creator from, like I said, early. So my brain just kind of started formulating questions and well how do I deal with it well how do I talk to that guy to make him realize not like this how do I, and it's almost like honestly I think I kind of early on took on almost like a super saver person yeah kind of superhero kind of mentality about it that even though you can call me this I went over a friend's house in high school that them their granddad would walk in and say why isn't the n-word at my table eating hmm. but this was my best friend we still friends to this day he's right he, we talk about it but that was his family that was his grandparents. So it was a very interesting dichotomy of being that guy who was the president of the National Honor Society, track, football, baseball, drama club, not baseball, I mean drama club and all that stuff. But you walk down the hall and the teachers push you up against the wall and your guidance counselor don't help you. And right. the parents are calling you the N-word, but you won most talented at the high school. You know, and it's like that, that it, it, it can really, you know, mess with your mind. Yeah. Were you were you ever um, were you angry? Right. Because, again, there's this whole there's the 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 confusion of 
you know, black men are always angry, right? They're right. the angry black man, the angry yes. black woman. And it's yes. crazy because, you know, for a normal person, after all the things that we go right. through, all of the racism and all of the uh, um, the just the plain old injustices of yes. being treated, yes. you know, being treated unfairly um, and microaggressions, it, it will make everybody, you know, mad. Right. But right. You know, I, what I find, you know, at least for me is. You know, I there are times that I have to maintain my composure so yes. I don't get into that whole you're just an angry black man kind of thing, right? You know, so yes. going through this period, it looks like I mean, you you just kept your cool the whole time. Did you have periods of time that you're just like, man, why this why why does being black yeah. is terrible? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a, you know, we like you said, we all human. I have those had those moments and. There are a couple of times that, uh, you know, the anger flash out in high school and you might lash out at somebody, you know, you put them up on the wall or something, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. I, but at the same time, for whatever reason, um, that anger in me kindled a I can show you better than you can talk to me or you can come at me. Mm. Who I, I don't know how to if I'm explaining it correctly, but it was more the anger did. The anger was there. It was there. Right. But it, it, oh, that's great. It almost became like that Tony Stark with the little with Iron Man with this. It became that torque that <laughs> yeah, everything yep, yep. I did, I'm about yep. to spray this on you. And when I'm right. done, even if you hate me, you can't help but delight me because right. Right. I'm that dude. You know what I'm saying? And it okay. almost became an arrogance. I'm gonna be honest. I almost became an arrogance. Like I'm, I'm better. Like I'm literally better as in mentality than you. Right. So no matter what you say, how you say it, what you do. I'm going to look at you. And my grandmother had a great, I don't know if you ever heard of this. My grandmother had a great saying she used to say all the time, be nice, nasty. Mm, yeah. she, my grandmother said nice, right, nasty. Yeah. Nice, nasty, yeah. <laughs> and she said, you can be nice, nasty, meaning you can tell a person off, rip them left to right, but when you leave, there's no blood, there's no right. bullets, and yeah. all they can do is just, what just happened? Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> Look around. Right. <laughs> right yeah. You're not cussing them out. You like yep. you said, you 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 even though you feel it, you don't succumb. I mean, it ain't 100 percent, but you don't succumb to the angry black man. And right. even recently, like over the last especially all the stuff that's went on, you mm -hmm. get into situations where people say things, just think they can say stuff to you, and you gotta be like, you know what I could really do? <laughs> 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 you're like ooh, sigh, just let, right, it, go. let right. it go whatever you know right, um right. you know and so let me ask you this when you join the the military um the navy uh-huh you again you took that mentality with you yeah um the 10 years that you serve in active duty in the navy did you experience the same sort of um you know unfairness or did you experience sort of or at that time, were you comfortable enough that you know what? Hey, listen, I'm a black man, and there are things that come with being a black man, and I am just going to just you know do what I got to do. I I said that, and I tried to do that, and I did it. Yeah, but a major one happened in the Navy, probably the biggest one ever in my life. And uh, you've seen the movie in Navy NCIS, the show. Yeah, yeah. and um, they they did a major drug bust on my ship. And there was a major drug bust on my sister ship. And I watched a lot of my boys get walked out and stuff like that. But the backstory was, I remember before that, we were going to Cuba one right. day. And, you know, it's two in the morning. 
halfway sleep. I go to the restroom, look down, you know, you're halfway sleep, and there's something shiny. I look, there's a watch. I pick up the watch, line, whatever, throw it in my pocket, throw it in my right. That thing, nothing. Two weeks later, we're in port, and my work center supervisor, and it was, here's the crazy story, at Captain's Mass, when I got in trouble, everybody in my division said I said this, and I still got in trouble. Hmm. Um, he said, oh, my God, my watch broke. I said, oh, I found a watch on the way to Cuba, man. You want it? He was like, oh, you did? I was like, yeah. He's like, I get you 24. I said, I don't want no money for it. It was on the ground. I found it. You can have it. Right. So I went down to my rack and got the watch and gave it to him. And we were, it was a meeting we were trying to have. He kept trying to give me the money. I kept turning down. Finally, super like, man, just take the money. All right. right with him. And that was it. Yeah. Fast forward a little bit later, I'm walking up the brow of the ship. And the, the uh, master of arms is there waiting for me. And they're like, Robinson, we need to see you in the master of arms office. Yeah, I ain't thinking I'm doing anything, thinking about something yeah. else. All right, cool. Yeah. Go in there, sit. Then he said, you've been charged with law- uh, Article 131, larceny and wrongful appropriation. I'm like, what's that? What? Like, somebody said you stole their watch. And I was like, oh, that watch I gave to Daniels? I thought I found that on the Cuba. Yeah, they, you, they'll tell you I said that when, you know. Right. Whatever. Yeah. And um, and he was like, well, the guy says you stole it off his bed. The guy says you got this. And uh, he got friends that say they saw you in there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I end up going to captain's mess and mm. standing there in front of the captain, and they pull my record out. Now, in boot camp, and before boot camp, I was hanging with the wrong people, got in a little trouble, whatever, whatever, right? Yeah. And then, you know, 20, 15 days, the captain looks at that and says, oh, I got to worry about you. You got a history. I'm like, sir, that was one time. <laughs> I've never had any problems. And they charged me, because they couldn't charge me for stealing it. Right. So they charged me with depriving someone of something of value. They took two stripes, $3,000, and I basically lost two good. So I went I went to making $80 every two weeks. I mean, every yeah, every two weeks versus my normal pay. Yeah. They docked me two stripes, and they put me on restriction, extra duty while I'm cleaning the bathroom. was doing all this for 30 days. That drug bus happens. They find out that the gunner's mates and the people on the ship, there was a lot of Aryan Nation people in there because yeah. they was buying drugs. They went to this, the undercover agent went to this party, and the guys from the ship, had Aryan Nation swastikas tattooed that nobody knew. Right. They told them a story about how they found out this guy named Chris, I ain't gonna say his last name, they found out how this guy named Chris seen this watch on Daniels, my supervisor, at lunch and said, where'd you get it? Robinson gave it to me. Well, I was dating this white girl on the ship. They were mad about that. And then they were just mad at me. And they plotted and they basically said, Three of them got together, lied, and said I took it from them. And they found out through that drug bust that it was a big lie. All these people came in. They didn't get my strikes back and my money back, but they all came apologized. But it all came out through that drug bust, just on a side note of how they had set up this black guy with his watch. They're like, wait a minute. I remember Robinson. That happened to him. And it was me. They had set me up and lied about the whole thing because I was black and because they didn't like me. So all these guys came up and basically the Navy took a strike, $3,000 and all that stuff because of a watch that I found when I went to the bathroom on the way to Cuba. Did, did anybody ever apologize to you? They, the Navy came it, with the bull. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, the we're sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Cause I mean, you can't, how you gonna sue the government? You know what I'm saying? Right. And, yeah. The biggest thing, they didn't get my stripes back. I, I end up re-earning, like, getting good conduct medals. But when I got a Navy, I was an E5. But if you figure that one-year period and them, that stripe and stuff, I got docked. 
I might have got out as a you know first class petty officer or chief. Yeah. But it was just that period right there from the uh, extra duty and the restriction and the, you got to work on your way back. You got to earn your strike back, which is another nine months. So you're talking about that one period actually was a three year period for me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And um, so a lot of my friends heard that story for the first time and they remembered it. They right. was like, oh, my God, that was you. And yeah, those guys yeah. conspired and they went straight and the captain just wasn't trying to hear it, was right. not trying to hear it. I mean, I had division officers crying and people saying Robinson, they never did nothing. And everybody in my division quoted me that I said, I found it on my way to Cuba. And right. they since they couldn't say I stole it, there's something in the Navy. Like right now, if you're walking down, I don't know the roads on the, your university, but if you if you find something outside the football stadium, say, right? Right. It's a ring. And you put it in your pocket and you just leave it in your drawer. You ain't thinking nothing of it. Yeah. Well, the Navy said, well, you found that outside the stadium. You should have went to the local police and turned it in. So they call that wrongful appropriation. And that's they got me on that general article right there. Man, man. Yeah. All, all, all because, so me, all because yes. you have a different skin color. Yes. Than, yes. Man, that, well, yes. hey, listen, first of all, thank yes. you for your service. Um, thank you. On behalf of the United States and everybody in it. <laughs> We apologize for the way you were treated. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't fair, but you know what? It, it comes with the territory, right? Yeah. But honestly, though, for real, like, you know, thank you for, for your service, first of all. Thank, thank you. you for um, your dedication to, you know, with the country that, you know, we live right. in. Um, you know, and the crazy thing about all of this is, you know, you are out there fighting for people who are making life difficult for you. <laughs> that what you just said is conversations right? I've been having like crazy for the last year with different people mm. that, that you are talking about the flag and veterans and patriotism and, you know, just all these things you see that people are throwing out there about they are real patriots and right. this stuff. And I'm like, huh, <laughs> you know, like, I, you, the missions I did as a police officer and the things that we done on the ship and the goodwill peace missions and all overseas and countries and going to Israel and but you can't go because a terrorist said they're gonna blow up the bus and you come back on and but yeah I come home and you're like you the patriot because mm. you you can't go to the beach and you don't want to wear a mask <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So it, it's it's been that, and I'm not gonna lie. This yeah. last year and a half, that that side of it has been really mentally taxing, especially as a veteran, because the first thing a lot of people say is, "My granddaddy served, <laughs> and my great granddaddy served in the Civil War, and right. my granddaddy, granddaddy, granddaddy," and it's like it's almost you know you know what I'm saying? They they yeah. try yeah. to flip yeah. it to. That's real patriotism. That's a real patriot. Where my granddaddy served too. Right. You know, my uncles are secret special forces Marines, and I got uncles that did the same thing. But when we came home, you got to go back and do what you was doing. We still was at the back of the bus. We still couldn't eat where you ate. We still yep. couldn't drink where you drunk. Yep. And those that's what people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Man. Hey, so let me let, let me ask you this. Um you are Again, like I said, thank you for, you know, um, your service. Thank you for your dedication. Um, and 
on top of that, not only when you were in the Navy, were you, you know, lied on, um, were you mistreated, you you were hurt for your country, right? Yeah. And and one of the most amazing things that, you know, well, again, something that astonishes me is you were blind from oh, an accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? So yes. here you are as an artist and you were blind and yeah. when you were serving in the military. And Stevie uh, won. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, that, that so that's just that's just you know earth shattering for me, um, because again looking at your work, you mm-hmm. wouldn't think that this man was blind serving his country, and then mistreated, and now he's doing all this amazing art to showcase uh, what his passion about. Right? Tell right. me, do you mind telling us a little bit about you know that accident yeah. back in '94? Yeah, um, that 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 you went completely blind for, for for a minute there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm on the way to the ship with a friend of mine. We got to do this a Sunday morning. Pull it up to a red light. I see a car in front of us, and we're going a little fast. Mm. And I'm like, man, we're gonna stop. And I turn my head this way to see, and I can see he's shifting down, and we hit the car. Next thing I know, I guess I passed out. I woke. I thought my face was on fire, so I unbuckled, fell out the car, and it passed out again. And the ambulance came, and I hear the lady yelling, Mr. Robinson, Mr. Robinson. They took me to the Navy hospital because it wasn't too far away. And there was, like, nine people holding me down. And Because what happened was when I turned my head this way, mm. the airbag came out. So instead of doing like this, I went to the side, and the airbag hit me here. But all the chemicals that packed the airbag burned all the skin off my face. Oh. And it burned the skin off my ears. I seen pictures. I don't even know what those pictures are, but I remember it was like, yeah, like a burn victim. But the blunt force trauma of just my head doing like, you know, just doing a slight bob and airboy hitting it. Yeah. I woke up in the room and I opened my eyes and it was black. And I thought something was in my eyes or whatever. So I'm wiping it. And at that time, you figure 94. So I'm 20 years old and I'm wiping and wiping. And next thing you know, I realize I can't see. So they gave me the little red button. I'm mashing, mashing. Nurse comes in until I can't see. They take me downstairs. You hear like 15 voices and Mr. Robinson, you're blind. But um, your vision is going to come back, but we don't know when. And we don't know how severe it's going to be. So they take me upstairs and they literally taught me how to eat and drink. Like your hamburgers at 12, your french fries at three, your drink is at two o'clock. And I would have to go around the clock and I would listen to the TV and my friends. So they sent me home. It took about a month. I could see in black and white and it was blurry. And I didn't know whether you were male or female. Then it took about another little bit where it faded in. And now I have photophobia in this eye where if the amount of light I get, it looks like a camera flash every night in colors and purple and green and this. Wow. The scar tissue in this eye and a crease in this eye. And um, that's actually one of the things that was one of the major changes in my art was when I finally accepted that maybe, I would say right for Simple So Sexy, so that was 2013. So maybe 2012, 2013, after all those years, Mm. I finally accepted it. And it was a little old church lady. <laughs> it was a little church lady in South Carolina. I went to a service one day and I had a painting. I was giving to a pastor and she grabbed my hand and just started, you know, just started praying. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. She <laughs> said, I saw this painting and the lady beside her said, she told us last night that there was a guy that had a Noah's art painting that God wanted her to talk to. 
and I just happened to walk past her at a Ryan's restaurant. Mm. And she told me that I need to stop feeling sorry for myself, that the gift that he's given me is greater than what I used to be able to do. I used to do what I call academic portraits, like really detailed portraits yeah. in the hairs. Yep. And ever since then, what you see in my artwork is how I see the world, as in, like, if I get too much light or if it's raining, I see, like, fractals and colors and yeah. circles, and that's what you see in my art now. Because that oh. I just accepted it, and it gave me a different way of seeing, like, the lines and the color, and that's what you see, versus before, I was just doing what mentally. Now, that's literally how I see. Mm-hmm. Man, Angelo T. Robinson. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I I don't know. I, I'm 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 running out of adjectives to call you because <laughs> that was ridiculous. I mean, you know, the story itself, like like I'm saying, hey, you know, you right. guys listening, you should go check out atrfineart.com. Um, and you would really truly appreciate his art because again, you know, like what you said makes sense because you know, some of the art that I saw, I'm like. How how is it possible for him to come up with something like this? But right. if that's how you see it, and right. you're presenting us, you know what yeah. you're seeing. I mean, unbelievable. I you mean, ever seen the movie Daredevil with Ben Affleck? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and this is the best way I always describe to people: in Daredevil, when he takes his mask off and the rain is coming down, yeah, and you yep. see the lady's face because of the drops. Right. If I'm driving in the car at night and there's a headlight in that rearview mirror or this mirror here. It looks like that, like lines. Mm. So, and then if it starts raining a lot, it looks like diamonds and lines. So, my wife, if it's raining bad, my wife has to drive. So, now when I see color, I see stuff, it, that's just the way I see it. It's just, and I probably wouldn't accept it if it went for that little lady in front of Ryan because I was trying to fight to keep doing the type of art I was doing. And right. that's who I am. And she was like, God said. <laughs> you can't argue with that, hey, though, you know. You look, can't. I mean, man, you you being a PK kid, most people listening might not understand this. But when the little old church lady with the yep, stockings and, yep. and the hat come to you, you be like, and God, they don't say God, yep. they don't say God, they say God said. <laughs> <laughs> you do not argue with that. You just say yes, ma'am. Thank you, Lord, and move yeah, on. <laughs> from that day forward, I just tried my best, and over time, I've gotten better with like, oh, I can actually do this. Ooh. Like actually, the piece behind me right now, I started yeah. working on a big abstract piece, and is people always told me your abstracts have so much depth and so much, like it's so much to see in stories, and that's how I see it. Yes, yeah. oh man, that's how I see it. That that, uh, uh, that that is breathtaking. You know, thank um, you. <laughs> I, so let's talk a little bit about uh-huh. you did you did a piece, and you know this piece is not just you know one layer. Uh, it's multiple layers. Um, uh-huh. It included articles from the 50s, 60s, oh, 70s. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of threats about racism and right. hate in our society. And you did this several layers of George Floyd, right? Uh-huh. Again, um, you know, I'm, I, I am encouraging everybody, ATR Fine Arts, Instagram, check it out, atrfineart.com. Let's talk a little bit about uh-huh. what went into that piece for, of George Floyd. Um, okay. And why why did you incorporate all of the different articles from uh-huh. the, the, different, um, the different ages? And yeah, and what was going on with you when you were, when you were uh, painting this, this piece? Well... 
it, when George Floyd happens, I live in Sonora, Georgia, and I'm usually the only one that looks like me when I go to the coffee shop. But when I'm downtown, it's like a two-stop sign town. But mm. when you go through downtown, to the right, there's a housing project. If you leave out of my neighborhood and make a left and another left, it's all black, but you never see anybody downtown. Mm. Well, George Floyd happened, and I just seen some, some stuff on a couple of local pages, city pages that just was not jiving. And I was like, I met you. I know you. I know you. That was racist. That's racist. You racist. And it just brought that up. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. But also being an artist, I noticed how when like Kobe passed away and different artists take advantage of it yeah. and they just paint something and throw it out there and, you know, just trying to get likes and all that. Yep. I wanted to do something that when I felt it, that it was something that was going to make you look and think. So I waited a little bit. But then I got the idea when I, I was talking to someone and they was talking about how why is it? And it was, it was a white guy. He was like, why is it that everything got to be about black and white? Jesus don't see color. God don't see color. I'm like, oh, he what? He created it. Like, what? You know? And, <laughs> and then he was like, but y'all, everybody just making it all about that. And yeah. it, it ain't like, and then it struck me what a lot of people ain't thinking about. It wasn't just about George Floyd. My dad is 68. My great grandfather, your father. Our father's fathers have said these same things all the years. So you guys are looking at it like George Floyd, Brianna right. Taylor. We're looking at it like life, <laughs> you know? Yep. And so yep. when I started doing it, I started painting it, but then I was, it didn't have that. Like you said, you know, I was telling you how I see things. Yeah. He, he seemed too smooth. It wasn't the emotion, the man crying out. And I just, for whatever reason, picked up a palette knife mm. and I, Started, just started painting it with that palette knife and all of a sudden those angles and curves and pain almost like when the black guys got whipped or just black people got whipped and you had those scars on the back and all those in his face if you really look at it you can see the raised texture of the browns and yeah, all yeah. that and that was to represent that but then i wanted people to realize he is surrounded by ethos of history not just him getting kneeled on and I had a collection of 70s and 60s magazines. I started going through and pulling articles and pulling the old, pulling like a Rodney King article and just all these articles and started decoupaging them on there and putting stuff over the top so that when you look at it, you see him, but then you just see the scars and the pain. Then you really look at it and you see his whole energy and his aura is surrounded by what we've faced for the last 40 years. Yeah. So it's not just about him that you're feeling this uproar and this uprising of people is you're, you're facing all of that because they were talking about the same thing in 70 and 65. Yeah. And, you know, so, so if you really feel like it's just about George Floyd, I wanted you to look at that and realize you're missing the point because guess what that, that magazine said in 1970 and on the cover it said the Negro rises. Right. You know, and yep. then in this article right here, it says that yeah. the Negro this. And my son is 17. He was like, because he was reading some of the stuff. Mm. They used to talk like that? They actually wrote that on the magazine? Mm. Yep. And that's what I wanted people to feel, that that was yep. the 60s and 70s. We're in 2021, and we still talking about the same thing. But you guys only, like this, blinders, think it's about Brianna and, and George. No, this just brought it even higher. And that's what that whole piece is about. Mm. 
Hmm. That no, that that's powerful. I mean, and I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at the piece right now, and I see all of the different news articles surrounding um, George Floyd, and you know that is a great representation of you know as as a black man or even as black people, you know, right. there's a lot of history behind. Yep. Oh, where we've come from, right? And right. you know, a lot of times when we get into the the discussions of oh, you know, like Black Lives Matter or you know, Black social injustice and all of these things, right? You know, we need to recognize that there are a lot of people who have gone through and yes. fighting yes. for so long, and you know, sometimes we might not get justice in our lifetimes, right? But right. maybe our children, the people who exactly. come after us. And so we can't get, you know, tired of the fight. Exactly. We can't get tired of the exactly. talk. We can't get tired of having those conversations and educating people. And honestly, you know, for me, sometimes I get tired, right? I'm just like, you know what? Yes. I'm just going to go back and just be black and just, you know, not talk about <laughs> you know, black things, right? But, you know, your piece, you know, speaks to, we can't get tired of fighting every day because people have been fighting for so long. And that has yeah. given us the opportunity um, to be where we're at today. Right. right. Um, and you're doing the same thing for the future generation um, right. with your mentorship and stuff like that. I want you to tell us a little bit about the. Uh, um, the 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 prison bus uh that you had like you know a bunch of young oh. cats <laughs> who came out you know and they're like you angela t robinson right oh. so tell, tell us the story of that you know the you know the 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 prison bus that yeah. was in the neighborhood and you okay. came out yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the backstory is we we found a log cabin there's a log cabin on like seven acres it has a pool has a pool deck with a bathroom and a carriage house, there's two bedrooms, a garage. So it was a very nice piece of property. And we're the only, my wife is Vietnamese, and we're the only people that like us on this, this whole road, right? right? And everybody else that lived down here, this guy owns, a, you know, some big metal company. This guy's this and all that kind of stuff. And then here we are. And so the bus would come by all the time. And just this day, for whatever reason, they was cleaning the roads. I happened to be walking up to the mailbox. And I heard one of the young guys yell, Oh my God, it's a brother that lives right there. It's, I see that it's a brother that lives there. And I was like, what's up, y'all? What's going on, man? You know, trying not to interrupt too much. I ain't know the rules or whatever, right, you know. Right, yep. And he was like, oh man. And another guy yells, You play for the Falcons? <laughs> and I was like, no. No. And uh, as I'm slowly getting, I'm about halfway up the driveway then. And then another guy said, You play for the Braves? The Hawks? I was like, no. Nope. Said, you play sports? I was like, no. And somebody else yells, are you a rapper? I was like, no. Another guy yells, are you a producer? Are you Do you produce rap? I right. was like, no. So literally, they all just stop in the middle of the road. Just stop. Mm. And I'm a little scared because the dude in the bus looking at me. I'm like, dude, my fault. I'm just trying to get the mail, you right, know, whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've seen him enough times that he's seen me passing up. He knows my truck that I always nice and waving, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, he's, and, and he's, they said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm, you know, 14-year military veteran, you know, a disabled veteran. I'm an artist. I'm a photographer. My wife's a nurse. And an older black prisoner looked at them and said, that's what I'm talking about. Mm. You see that right there? That man is sitting here in the middle of all these people. He look, he looks good. He ain't giving away nothing. He's still a brother. And, mm. and he owns it. And he ain't out here with just crazy stuff. And you can do that and do it the right way. 
and you can do it if you take your time. You don't have to have it tomorrow. So he goes through this whole little thing, right? Right. And he was like, brother, thank you. Thank you. Like, they need to see that. And, and what struck me was he's in prison. Right. And he's saying yeah. they need to see it as in he ain't never getting out. Mm. So I don't know what he did or what was going on, but he was talking like they need to see it as in telling them you guys got shorter sentences or you guys ain't going to be here longer. You guys, when you get out, remember this picture mm. that you can have this without doing what got you in here. And I always tell people that's one of the most powerful things I've ever been through gotcha. just because it was it was uh, organic. It wasn't contrived or someone inviting you to speak. These are guys I see all the time at different places around the county just have to be coming down my road and I just have to be going to the mailbox. And they they were blown away that I didn't play sports or wasn't a rapper or a producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's crazy because, you know, there's this cycle, right? The cycle of, you know, especially in, in, in a lot of the black neighborhoods, right? Um, people, black kids usually grow up unless there's that cycle that's broken and they're in a different space or... Yeah. Somebody sees them and say, hey, listen, no, you're better than that. Right. Right. You know, there's a cycle of, you know, the, there's the the professional act, the athlete. Right. You uh -huh. make money as an athlete or like right. you said, you make money as a producer or a rap artist or whatnot. But, right. you know, the the in-between stuff, again, I say this all the time, but the in-between stuff is not really there. And a lot of these young kids, they don't get the opportunity to see the in-between. Right. Stuff. Like an artist, right? Yes. Um, yes. And it's it's crazy because the way the system is set up, um, especially in the states, you know, the system is set up so they don't actually get the chance to get out to see right. the middle stuff, you know. Right. Um, right. It, 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 it it saddens me that you know there's going to be a generation of black kids growing up that never got the chance or the opportunity to, to see that, hey, they can become an artist and be yes. really good at it. Or they professor, can become, yeah, uh, a professor or, you know, whatever. or whatever, right? It doesn't um, have to be an influencer, a, a TikToker, right? or just, you know, just these five boxes of things right. that now they're like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah. make a lot of money. This is what I'm going to do. And it's like, there are so many integral things that we can do and i'm gonna give you one you haven't asked me this let me give you one yeah <laughs> i i have very strong opinions about black history month i'm just gonna be real no I'm so do I. I don't like i don't like black history month <laughs> i don't need it i don't need it the reason i don't like it is this every year they they, they parade out we have a long way to go mm. we got a long way to go yep. and they show rosa parks martin luther king yep. george washington carver and some of the same and like you said, respect to them in the journey. Absolutely. But yeah. at this point right here, wouldn't it be better to actually put the correct history in the book so the kids can read it from a younger age so that they can see it? Wouldn't it be better than Black History Month? Like, actually, um, maybe something we can talk about later. But uh, I have a, something I want to do next year uh, called Look How Far We've Come. Right. And it's an art exhibit where it's all still life. But you walk in and there's a big traffic light. There's an ironing board. Like they don't know who Sarah Breedlove was, who did the ironing board yep, back, yep. or the young woman that people just discovered that came up with the sanitary napkins for women, a part of it, mm. and just all these amazing things that Black people have done. But you you know about the peanut, and you know yep. about the real deal McCoy, yep, and Rosa Parks, <laughs> yep. And it's like we have so much stuff. Like one of my favorite, I forgot his last name as soon as I was about to say it, but Lonnie, uh, the Super Soaker, 
the uh the the, the black yeah, gentleman yeah, 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 yeah. know what you're talking about yep how many kids actually know that every time you're looking at these nerf guns and run around there was a black guy in the 90s came up with this super super yep yeah yep they they don't they don't publicize you don't see that and there's no outlet or like you said the way the system is set up everybody like me i read and you know always looking up stuff but these kids might not have access don't know so they're they ne- they always have that very sliver of what they could be yeah versus this guy make the super soaker Lonnie johnson yeah 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 yep. i mean he, he was brilliant made a bunch of other stuff yeah but this dude invented the super soaker right and there are so many other inventions like that that if kids would see that he might go home and be like you know what i got this idea let me let me try this hmm. and i just think we're missing that because Black History Month comes and they parade the same stories, the yep. same people, the same inventions, just same, same. I'm 47. They've been doing the same thing since I was in kindergarten, you know? And it's like, come on, people, let's let us change this. And then Black, let's kind of, like I said, I want to do an art show where it's like, look, this stuff, look at this stuff that we created and that we did and this person and bring other people to talk so they can just hear something else mm-hmm. than the normal what you see every time on TV. So, uh, and I appreciate you saying that because my issue with Black History Month, first of all, logistic wise, if you really break it down, the February is has the least amount of days out of all, all of the all of the twelve months, right? Okay, so so first of all. Whoever decided that it was Black History Month, which I should probably read up and figure out how the whole right. thing started, right? Right, but exactly. But February, which is usually what twenty nine days or twenty eight days, right? Le- at oh, least a free. month that that has like thirty one days, right? You know, so, right. But all jokes aside, like you're right because Black History Month for me, you know, I sit back and watch, and I'm like, it's something to make other races feel good that. They're talking right. about black people, right? And right. it's not again. It, it, I'm I'm glad there's a Black History Month. I'm glad you know people go out and talk about the history and you know the stories. But let's be real about Black History Month, right? Black History Month is not for black people. Right. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? And, and at least from my perspective, it's not because if it was, we will really be actively engaged with the black people that we know in our lives, right? Right listening to their stories and having those conversations and trying right. to see how we, what we can do to change, you know, things for them versus, right. you know, going all up on media, social media and, you know, or all the news talking about, Oh, you know, this happens and this happens. Right. Okay, let's just bring it home and celebrate the black people we have in our lives. Right. Again, I, I, I don't know. I can I have issues with <laughs> on top of that. For those of us in the Midwest, it is the coldest month <laughs> of the year. So it ain't like you can even get out <laughs> and right. enjoy some jazz or some, you know, blues or some right. music and some soul food. Exactly. Exactly. I just think it's a pigeonhole. I mean, like, like you said, much respect because there it does give some something to it but it just needs to start changing with the times and we need to go forward yeah Yeah. you know what i'm saying yep 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 hey no doubt hey listen we're talking to angelo t robinson an amazing Mm -hmm. artist 
you know, he has like a four dimensional mind. And <laughs> I will go as far as saying probably a 10 dimensional eyesight <laughs> because, <laughs> because of his art, you know, the vibrancy, diverse richness, simply beautiful cultures that, you know, he has experienced from his time in the Navy, you know, down south in all the different countries. And he brings that to everything that he does, um, you know, a great mentor. And listen, like, it's an honor to talk to you, an honor to meet you. Um, I do want to continue our conversation yes. um, in, in another episode. Um, okay. Before I let you go, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to ask you to, you know, just break it down for the listeners, right? Art, tell them what art can do for them. Because I think, you know, people don't appreciate art enough, right? I mean, right. I, I, I agree. love art, right? I mean, if you can see around me, I have like... Yeah. <laughs> I see know, it. I, I, you know, I have stuff like this that I love you know, it. handcrafted and yeah. I love art. You know, I, and for me, you know, I can escape into um, in, into a painting or into a sculpture and just, you know, take it to all different levels. Um, right. You know, for those people who don't really appreciate art, you know, teach us how or what we can do to appreciate art. Right. Well, the first thing that I think needs to be done is to the understanding that art is for everybody. Mm. And I believe because of the news, once again, I know we always go back to media, but it just is what it is. This is the time we live in. Yep. Uh, social media, the news, magazines, you always see these huge galleries and artists selling for this amount of money and this and this. And, and, and it just has a certain uppity feel. It has a certain air to it. And the normal person has gotten so tired of that because I know I experienced walking in the gallery and they look at you and snooty and, you know, and you lose the desire to even think about art for right. one. So take that back to yourself and don't let people tell you that you're not supposed to be able to enjoy it. And I'm going to say it like this because that's how I grew up. You got eight kids and you and your kids want to walk in the gallery, you walk in the gallery and yep. go look at the, yep. the stuff, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is art is very subjective. In my artist statement, you see, it says the viewer is supposed to have a mental, spiritual, or physical reaction, mm. whether you love it or hate it. Right. I, it don't bother me either way. Now, what bothers me, if you look at my art, you're like, meh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's just rude, first of all. Right. <laughs> if you look at it, you're like, I hate that. And then I'm like, ooh, why? If you right. say, I love that, I'm like, ooh, why? Right. Get that piece back to where you might not like abstracts. You might not what it, find what you like. Art is is digital, is painting, is sculpture like you have, is performance art, is video art. Uh, that's why the guy was telling me, he was like, you know, you're kind of interdisciplinary because you, you make videos, you put art in, you do photos, mm -hmm. you paint on them. It's whatever that can open your mind. And lastly, what it can do for you is it gives you a beautiful escape to any world, any mm -hmm. Any world you can think of, yep. you can name any city in America right now. There's some art gallery or something somewhere that if you were to walk in that gallery and spend an hour, yeah, you could probably spend three days trying to figure out what that artist was thinking about, what they did right there, how they did this, and then all of a sudden it opens you up to. I know my wife. <laughs> she, the joke is like I'm doing something like this. Did you mess up? What What are you doing? And I'm like, babe, just come back in two weeks. Just come back, you know. <laughs> but what it did, what it did was now 
she's making these crazy like crocheted animals and doing crazy because it calls her mind to go here. She's like, you know what? I think I want to try this. She watched a YouTube video. Next thing I know, she's making these crazy bunny rabbits and and that's what it'll do. It'll give yeah. you an outlet. And it for kids, what it does for them, it helps their mind. If if you're having a dark time or you're having my six-year-old, I bought a box of printer paper because my six-year-old will take 30 pieces out my printer and he's gonna draw a comic book. He's gonna sit there and draw and just do it. And it allows you to enjoy yourself and it allows you to appreciate others because now you see color differently. Yeah. You see nudity differently. You see, uh, you realize nudity is not Playboy. Right, right. Nudity is not Hugh Hefner and porno. Right. It, it makes you see the difference. Right. That's a big one right there because just the way wow. people do it. Yeah. And that's one thing art to do for you. It'll make you see color and the body and all these things in the way it was supposed to be created in this beautiful, just natural state that it's supposed to be. Mm. Mm. That's amazing. That's amazing. Hey, listen, I, I don't, I don't have enough words to describe, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, how, how amazing you are, how, you. you know, how awesome you are in your dedication alone. Again, like I said before, thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, and I mean, when I, when I'm ever in your space, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a call <laughs> and we're going to sit down and get some some wine or yes. some bourbon or something and yes. just sit back and have a good conversation because listen I if you know I can learn a lot from you a lot of people can a lot learn a lot from you and your experience um especially you know the young black man coming up um right. you know they're, they're, I mean they, we all have a lot to learn but they especially have a lot to learn yes you know, and they they need to learn that they they don't have to you know, stoop to the the idea that, hey, if somebody call you uh, uh, an angry black man, you actually have to portray that angry black man. Right. right. You can you, you can you can always walk away and just, you right. know, kill him with kindness. So, exactly. um, but hey, listen, you guys need to check out atrfinearts.com um, on Instagram, atrfinearts.com. Yes. Check it out. Angelo T. Robinson. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Yes. I was so, you know, when, when Krishna reached out and say, hey, listen, you need to meet this guy. I was like, <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you. I'm um, going to send her a check. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But listen, before I let you go, though, I'm going to give you a minute to send a message out to the world. If uh-huh. you have one word to t- tell the world, uh, send them a message. What message will you send out to the world? And I'm, I'm going to stop my music off. So, okay. hey, speak to the world. What do you want to tell the world? My message I say to myself every day is process over the product. Mm. Process over the product. We're so inundated with product, product, get it, get it, get it now. that we forget the beauty of life is the actual process to the product. Mm. Because if you get the process, you always have a product. But if you get products and you don't know how to get there, you, you're going to go here and there. So I always tell people, enjoy the process of failing, of walking, of living, of breathing. Just enjoy that process. Process over the product. That's on my billboard. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. The beauty of life is the process of getting the product, process of a product. Hey, you heard it from my man, Angelo T. Robinson. Um, Thank you so much, Angelo. It has been an honor. And yeah, we will get back 
you know, yes. like I was saying, hey, listen, when we start talking about black love, I'm going to have you back. Okay. Uh, we, we, we talk about, you know, black love with your children and black yes. love with your wife um, yes. and the love for art. And, you know, hey, I can't I can't wait. We're going to continue our conversation. Thank you so much again. Thank it's you. An honor. It's Thank a wrap. You. It's a wrap. Thank you.